0: Only
1: redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value.
0: I am a little challenged when I'm doing a puzzle. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. We're hands off. We don't care.
1: With Margaret Aples and Amy Wilson. Check yourself before you wreck yourself.
0: A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas. So you don't have to. I often would goof on my own mother Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the face of motherhood. We're laughing because Marshmallow is growling in the background. This is Margaret. Uh, she's sneezing or something. She's doing, yeah. She's making some funny noise. Anyway, welcome. This is Amy, and this week we're
1: going to be talking about pushing kids the just right amount. Not too much, not too little, hard to know, different for each kid and all that, yes. But we're going to talk about like how you even know how to begin to balance this.
0: Amy, as you like to say, I'm soaking in it. (laughs) I've been having this conversation again and again and again lately. And I do think, you know, whether it's little kids, should they stay on the sports team or should you let them quit if they're miserable? Or like as my kids start high school, like getting into the kind of college-based Northeastern rat race of doom, like this is a really hard question that vexes me.
1: Yes. And let me tell you, like, you know, the perspective that I have of having older kids. So my kids are 15, 18, and 20. And of course, they're turning into real adults now. But the sort of the four year olds that they were are still in there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I still see them when I look at them. Oh, did you just say a mouthful? Absolutely. The 10 day olds are still in there. And the approaches that, they need and the pushes and pulls and hands off and hands on that they need are not only vastly different for each kid but the good news is they're not that different when they're 18 that they were when they were four if that makes sense
0: that's good feedback i mean i just was facing this it's midterms week at our house and i have a kid who i think is studying Really hard, but when I talk to other parents, I think he's studying like a third of what some other kids are doing You know, like there are (laughs) definitely kids who are studying like six hours a night. I mean he's In ninth grade. He's studying Maybe two hours a night, which seems like a lot to me and then I think oh I don't think we're really hitting our goals here and then last night I wasn't feeling well. My husband was busy we had a show we really wanted to watch and we kind of got to the point of, well, should we run another whole round of index cards? And we were like, Meh, no, we didn't. And <laughs> I don't know um, how he's going to do on the tests. You know, I think if preparedness was a one to 100, he's probably like a 62 unprepared, which doesn't hopefully mean that he's going to get a 62 on the exams. But I think I suffer from being an under pusher. I think Right. I'll throw down a gauntlet early on this
1: because I think it matters. We need to push our kids sometimes in order for them to experience risk and failure and growth. Whether it's, yes, you do, like you're ready to take advanced math or you're ready to jump off the dock even though you're a little scared, right? Like that's where growth occurs. But it doesn't mean that more faster, higher, one more round of flashcards is always the right answer. Like I'm thinking like for this kid, pushing your kid is getting an A what the goal is, right? Or making this kid feel successful. It's
0: hard sometimes to know even what the goal is. No, getting an A is what a goal is. I think maybe that's part of my problem is that like, I'm like, I guess getting an A is the goal. What else would it be? I I don't know. I don't want to get any deeper than that. It must be getting an A, right? But I guess maybe I don't care enough if he gets an A. And I also don't want to like do flashcards about the Peloponnesian War for 10 hours and this kid probably needs more help than some. So, you know, if I felt he was up in his room learning Peloponnesian War Facts, and I could just quiz him once an hour. And so I guess it's a constellation of issues. And there's getting an A. Yeah, I worry a lot that I'm under pushing. If my kid says they want to quit sports, I'm like, let me buy you an ice cream. You are the best child ever. I don't want to go to sports. I don't want to do anything.
1: Right. But that's not necessarily what is best for the kid. It's not necessarily what's not best for the kid. Yeah, I should probably push more than I do. Well, well, we're going to talk about it because I think obviously stopping pushing is sometimes look, there's the kid that is studying six hours a night, imaginary kid in your child's ninth grade that is studying six hours a night and needs to be have like the opposite of push, right? Like that kid needs to be encouraged to. Right. Who's
0: panicking and like really nervous all the time. Yeah. And like having like stomach issues because they're putting so much pressure on themselves. Right. Exactly.
1: So like the sort of key to this, I liked this term. I actually wrote an article about this. so I'll put a link to it in the show notes about this when my kids were seven years younger than they are now about the optimal push. What is this? This isn't my term. There's a sports psychologist. His name is Larry Lauer and he works with very specific type of kid and how you push them which is he works with like athletic prodigies and their parents so he's putting aside the like should there be such a thing as a child athletic prodigy like we can have that discussion too for sure in this case these are athletic prodigies these are kids who are driven they are they do have a special talent and the parents are like how much we push these kids, because if you push them too much, they'll burn out, they'll, you know, need Tommy John surgery or whatever, right? And if you don't push them enough, then they're not going to make the junior tour, which, you know, there's reasons that we can unpack why that might matter and not matter. But anyway, that's who he's working with.
0: I would be interested in drilling down how many prodigies have parents who are actually asking themselves that question. There are some, but there's got to be a percentage of those parents who are not asking themselves that question. It's in the if you read, did you read the Andre Agassi book open? No. Fantastic memoir, if you haven't read it. But yeah, his dad was like a lunatic who just was like, my children will be tennis prodigies and like retrofitted a ball machine to shoot balls out at like nine times the normal speed. Right. And basically wouldn't let them in the door until they played for eight hours. Like that's clearly we're over the line of pushing. Absolutely. But it does get good results.
1: And there are people who are on the other side. So I know parents whose daughter was a four-year-old, a four-year-old at tennis lessons, right? Like, let's all have fun and hit tennis balls. And every coach, teacher, person walking by were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Look at her. Look at that. Look like this kid, this kid, this kid. Right. Like it was not right. And she was certainly, and she had the motivation. That's the very important thing here. Like this is a kid that was super motivated to be good at tennis. And Ever since she was in preschool, everybody who encountered is like, your child is remarkably good at tennis. Like it definitely was visited upon them a little bit, but you still get to this point where it's like, so are we moving to Florida so our kid can join the junior tour? Are we that kind of family? Is that the right answer for her and for her sister to, is that the optimal push for this kid for her to be a pro or is the optimal push? Like, that's not how we roll. You'll be, you know, a high school star and then live your life or something in the middle
0: and the ideas of injuries and right and I think what's interesting on the other side of it is that Andre Agassi's family had four children and he and he talks a l- really in an interesting way about this book that whatever the combination of his personality and his dad's personality and it was to some degree conflict it wasn't that like some of the other kids I think were trying to please the dad and he was trying to like fight back against the dad through tennis in his own way. And he's the only one. All the kids played on the junior circuit. He's the only one who went pro. pro. You know, the other ones didn't make it. Like, you can retrofit a tennis ball server thing to shoot balls at your kid's head 100 miles a day. It doesn't mean they're going to make the pros. It doesn't. None of this. The outcomes aren't guaranteed, which is another interesting part of the Calculation here that like, also we could move to Florida and we could pull everybody out of school and we could devote our family's entire life to this, and then the kid could break their knee when they're seventeen and that could be the end of the road. And so, the calculations are very very complicated. I think
1: or grow up to write a memoir about how you know my life was ruined by my parents like incessantly pushing me with a tennis ball machine in the
0: backyard. Like you could be, I thought you Correct. wanted that. That could also <laughs> right. happen. Thank right. You. Well, I don't think this dad was like, I don't think the dad <laughs> ever had the thought of like, I think you want X. I think he was like, kids, tennis, yes, must. And like, it was just like, right, absolutely nutty. Well, So anyway, this whole optimal
1: push thing, I just wanted to preface it by saying like, this is like a guy who coaches parents of child athletic prodigies on how to push their kids, but not have them burn out and what's enough. And that's a rather specific skill. But I really liked where he was He's coming from, so he says. Optimal push has how to know it's different for every kid, which is of course easy to say, but I think it's true. And he says three things go into how much to push a kid in any given thing: it's their age, it's their ability of what they're being, you know, pushed in, and their desire to be pushed. Mm,
0: that's a nice touchstone. That makes sense to me. Like
1: if your kid hates tennis, then right, yeah. So, like about a homework thing, if your kid is like resisting doing homework. I have a kid who really resists doing like reading for school, like hates reading, doesn't read any more than they have to. That's not a good way to get better at reading. P.S. Right. But how much I can push this kid on you really need to read more. Reading's hard for them. So their ability, I have to factor in that ability to how much I'm going to push them. Right. Like we're not leaving this house until you read three chapters of that book you have to have read in two weeks, I could do that, but then I'm not really factoring their desire and their ability into how much I can push them. And I should.
0: Yeah. And your role in it, I mean, I've been having many more problems as my kids get older of, I don't know, I also, I come from a kind of high achieving academic family. And I kind of thought the formula was like, kids do this on their own, you know, and I'm realizing much more that my kind of lackadaisical approach has fostered a more lackadaisical approach in my offspring. And so I'm having conversations where I'm saying, are you prepared for the test? Oh, I got it. It's no problem. Going to nail it. And then they come home with a 57. Like, that actually surprises me. Like, I kind of thought that it just one went with the other. Like, if you think you're ready, as they move into high school, I am finding that not to be the case. That if I, I mean, my intellectual take on it is that this sounds like a you problem school and child like i don't really want to be involved in my kid and their learning but i guess i have to be like there's no lane in which i stay out of it and my kids do really well is what i seem to be figuring out
1: but say like so i can think of a friend of one of my kids is a like a map genius can visualize, this is an older kid, a kid in high school, can visualize maps of countries, not only current, but like this is during the Peloponnesian War, to use your example, like this is what the archipelago, if you can see my geographical knowledge, I'm making this up, the ar- archipelago would have looked like this during the Peloponnesian era. Can freestyle draw this, right? And of course, that I mean, that's an innate ability, and very motivated to learn more about it and know about that if you have a kid. So picture that five-year-old, right, who's fascinated by maps and globes and history and stuff and has an extreme desire to learn more about that. I would argue like you kind of do have a responsibility to that kid. Like, okay, I think we're going to find some like archaeological camp this summer or whatever. We're going to start reading more books as a family that are about.
0: Yeah, we're going to spend time at the Museum of Natural History. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think leaning in It's leaning in to strengths, probably, and then supporting weaknesses seems to be part of it, too. I have a whole thought about this, Amy. Let's take a break. We'll be right back.
1: Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. while
0: Start your Hero Bread bundle on
1: their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and
0: use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Similarly to the map-making child, I have a child who has a really, really intensely good memory. Like you can say... Like a kid who, in regular conversation, is like, do you remember September 10th of 2016 when we went to that yogurt shop? And I'm like, definitely remember the yogurt shop. Would not have remembered. It was this day of the week on this day of the year. This kid did fairly well in school, in middle school. As long as the only task was memorization, this kid could kill any test because they have an intensely amazing memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, as they get further along in school, it becomes much more compare and contrast these two religions as they grew in these two countries. It's a very different question than tell me the eight principles of this religion. And so, yes, as it gets more abstract, they struggle more and they do need much more study support, because if it was just memorize all, I'm going to help you write these facts on cue cards, like an index cards, and you're going to memorize them, nailed it. But to make the abstract connections, they need a lot of support. And so I am pushing them to study more and pushing them to try to get these things into their brains in a way that I think yeah, maybe it sometimes crosses the line, but it's seasonal, too. Like, when they need these supports and this push, they really need it. I mean, does it cross the line, right? It Does it cross the line? If your kid is coming to you saying, can you
1: please help me study for this? Then I think then, you know, you're not pushing them and providing structure— This is the other thing that Larry Lauer says about the optimal push that a parent of a tennis prodigy or a a ninth grader studying for a history test or whatever should provide structure, but not too much, which, again, is like I know that's like a non answer, but it's true. Yes, it's true. Right. Like this is abstract. It seems to me like this abstract stuff. Okay, we're going to put it on index cards, which brings it back to the realm of the concrete and memorizable That's structure. But you're not like tying your kid to the piano bench until they can play for at least without making a mistake. Like that's the
0: line. That's too far. That's too much structure. I think one important part of this as we're talking about it, it's just striking me, is that understanding, I think a lot of the pushing comes from our desire to control outcomes and separating those two things from each other can really help with this. And I'm going to use a fairly strange example. Years ago, when the show The Sopranos was on, even the young gilocks among us probably remember Sopranos, big hit show, starring James Gandolfini as the mafia boss. And then his mother was this nightmarish lady. Livia Soprano. Livia Soprano, played by Nancy Marchand. And she was like a monstrous mother, but kind of in her own weird way, beloved. And like, you just couldn't get enough of her. Wonderful character. I went to see David Chase, who amazing character who wrote the show. And somebody said, how do you make, you know, these horrible characters seem likable? And he's like, well, we rewrote and rewrote and rewrote. And, you know, he was saying he was exploring his own relationship with his mother. And many times he took it too dark. And the other writers would be like, whoa, 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 that no. And (laughs) didn't need to hear that. that, Yeah, like, no, 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 But let us out of the room, please. <laughs> but then that the most important part is that they were reading for the mother for days and days and days. And like these different, really talented actresses would come in and be like, doing it and then everyone was like it's not funny it's disturbing it's weird it's not gonna work and that they were every night like we're gonna have to ditch this character or rewrite it and then they had auditions scheduled and like you know like mm, like the story goes on the friday nancy marchand came in and read it and they were like that's it like that's the role and they never rewrote any part of it she just clicked with it i think about that all the time in so many different things i'm doing that i'm trying to quote unquote make Work that I'm gonna rewrite. I'm gonna push on it until it works, and that sometimes things work because the right things fall into place at the right time. So I think the tennis prodigy example of this right is like you can put all the pressure in the world on if you're Andre Agassi's dad, and it only works one out of four times. And there's a good chance it would have worked zero out of four times. You know that putting pressure on a situation does not necessarily make the outcome X, Y, or Z. And that often putting pressure on a situation only crushes all the people involved in the situation and doesn't actually get you to where you want to be. Does that make sense in terms of what we're talking about? It does. But then I think sometimes we can sort of, I think,
1: villainize these parents. Your relationship with your child should be more important than whether or not they make the tennis tour, right? But there are great I don't know, artists and tennis players and people whose parents encourage them and help them with their vision. It's got to be the kid's decision, I guess, at some stage. When I mean, your kids get older, they can decide. But I'm thinking of like a kid who plays travel baseball that some mom listening is driving her kid to like, you know, two states in a weekend to pitch in these tournaments and whatever. They're not all horrible monsters that are misguided and think their kid is going to pitch in the major leagues. And you know what are they doing? And why are they making their kid do this? Some of those kids are incredibly driven. And that parent for that kid is providing the optimal push. Like this kid is really driven. The parent doesn't really know or care where this is going, but they love that kid that much to support them. Like there can be a case in which a parent doing a lot to support a kid's unique interest is warranted. It's just hard to know sometimes.
0: A thousand percent. And I mean, I often would goof on my own mother I would love nothing more if I could play an instrument. Like, I would love to be able to play an instrument. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, you know what? You were the third in three years. My Your sister, I drove her to piano and made her miserable. And your brother, I, you know, got around town with the stupid trumpet. And, you know, it was miserable. Nobody, everybody hated it. And I just didn't have the energy to do it with you anymore. And I'm like, I get it. And then I find myself having these conversations with my kids a lot. We were recently, we went overseas for the first time ever. And I had studied French pretty seriously. I learned French as a kid. And then in the six months before I took my kids to France, I started listening to podcasts in French and doing, you know, the apps and stuff and refreshing my French. So fun. And it was really fun to be speaking in French to a bunch of strangers and making conversation. And my kids were kind of wowed by it. And I was really, really glad to have that skill. And it's because my mom really pushed me to learn that language as a kid, probably with a lot of annoying opposition from me as I think about it. And so as I joke about, like, I would love to play an instrument right now. Like she was like, I couldn't put it on the list. Right. But the things that my parents pushed me towards, I really enjoy as an adult. And like the problem is our kids don't really have the perspective. My kids are right now in the phase of When will I ever need to know this? And I will say in my third hour of studying Peloponnesian War Facts, I'm like, why are we all wasting our time? You will never need to know this, except for if you go on Jeopardy, like the only time you'll ever need to know this. But learning a ton of stuff and being smart and knowledgeable and having a curiosity about the world, it's all incredibly valuable. And so you can't, as I sometimes want to be, be like pushing is for losers. We like to relax and have fun and love each other. Like you can't just take that path.
1: That episode we did a month or two ago, I'll put the link in the show notes, is this supposed to be more fun about like why things aren't fun? We got into a whole discussion then that really was eye-opening for me that fun can be skiing, right? (laughs) Which you have to learn how to ski and fun can be, and skiing is terrifying and then it's fun. Fun can be the feeling of flow is being deeply involved in something that is just the right challenging for you, training for a marathon and then running a marathon. I'm using physical examples. I'm sure there are other examples that I'm not thinking of, like learning to speak French or whatever. It's not easy, but it's certainly fun. It's definitely fun to have been pushed and now have that skill. And I think sometimes we equate fun with relaxation and like doing a puzzle is fun and relaxing. It's not really hard, but I am a little challenged when I'm doing a puzzle,
0: right? If And, and like, I don't know, the apple is really big. And like, it's- No, the, for sure I do. Yeah, the challenge is fun. I think I come down too much on the side of like nobody can tell me what to do including me, you know, like uh sports who wants it? Studying for losers. Like I definitely come down a little too much on the side of like we're not hung up on learning and growing. We're cool, you know, and I think that I was thinking about this midterm exam thing and my other kid who's struggling a little bit in school that I probably do need to dial in a little bit more on you know and i was it was funny i was having a conversation with one of my kids the other day who is now in trouble for missing this is another whole like new school thing that we didn't used to have it's kind of all on the computer so if you're missing assignments you get like a zero on it it's on your chart and you're as the parent, you're supposed to check this thing and see if the kids have zeros. And I never check it. I mean, I don't know how to log on to it. And someone at pick up one day was like, Oh, you just get it on your phone. I'm like, I, I don't want to log on. It's a, that's again, this seems like a problem for my kid. Like you're old enough to keep track of your assignments, but he has not been. And I probably let too much slack in that rope. And I was talking to him about it because then it becomes very angsty and tearful, like ah, I've screwed everything up, and how could I? And I'm a bad person, I'm a bad student, and whatever else I am. And we were chatting about it in a calm moment the other night, and he said, "It's interesting. I just, I really kind of let it go. I really, you know, would say to myself at night, ah, it's only one assignment. But then I started doing it every week, and then I started doing it a couple times a week, and." Now I'm missing all of these assignments and I'm way far behind. And I thought, well, that's a good life lesson to learn too, right? That, like, sure. You can miss one assignment, you can't miss 10. Seems like a good age to learn it, but it does involve the reason that it gets triggered is because the teacher emails me to say, you know, this kid is failing my class because they actually haven't turned an assignment in in three weeks. Yeah. And I guess good thing.
1: But then you were supposed to use this whole platform that, you know, maybe, yeah, that's complicated. And it's a good lesson for the kid. And I kind of agree. I mean, listening to it, I'm like, yeah, you need your kid to learn that before they're in college or whatever, that they need to keep track of their assignments. But it depends on the kid, right? There are kids... I love talking about this. There are kids from whom that is all they need
0: to start keeping track of their assignments. This will never happen again. To change it up. Yep. It's a new day. By the way, spoiler alert, not this kid. <laughs> we'll be having this conversation again. Right.
1: And it doesn't make them a bad kid. It maybe is a kid who needs more push, or in this case, like scaffolding. And you can figure out what the scaffolding is. And as they get older, where I'm at now is like, okay, the scaffolding is now here but you've got to do repairs to the scaffolding as they need occurrence you're going to be the one fixing the scaffolding because i'm not going to know what's happening i need to be more removed from this it's it and never i stops also being hard, think but.
0: reflecting that and it's i'm thinking about it and it's very helpful that like the push, it needs to be consistent pressure, the push, I think, because it can't be like, we're hands off. We don't care. What? You're failing three classes. This is unacceptable. Right now we need to bear down that a little bit of push all the time is better than like totally random pushing, you know, that it's a little bit of like, how are you doing? Let's check this thing. And my compromise has been you check it every night, And tell me what's missing because he's not lying this kid he's just sort of like it's not that bad i'm sure it's done it's close enough and then he's going and getting on screens and so the new system is you check it and while i'm sitting here i'm not looking at it i'm not getting involved while you look at it and you tell me if it's done for tomorrow and then you could get on screens because he's not going to lie to me i don't think and say it's done when it's not because then he knows like he knows enough to know that then the hammer would really come down But he needs now a like checkout of homework time pass from either myself or his dad before he can play screens. So if I see him on screens, I'm like, who checked you out? And it just means like, are the assignments that are due done? And that's like a little bit of scaffolding and help every night as opposed to like, you're doing great, right? Yeah, I'm doing great. And then panic once every three months when the emails inevitably come in that say, spoiler alert, he's not doing that great. I think that sounds like a great plan. And now, summer rules versus winter rules from the What Fresh Hell podcast. Summer rules, okay, no problem. Yeah, just keep playing. Come in at nine o'clock when the sun goes down. Winter rules. Oh my god, it's been dark since four thirty. We're having dinner at five and then starting our bedtime routine at five twenty. Summer rules.
1: Just make sure you guys check in with me like once a day by text so I know where you even are. Winter rules. Yes, you are coming to the grocery store with me. Otherwise, you will not have been outside
0: all day. Summer rules. Who needs screens? We're going to the park and then the pool and then the ice cream store. Winter rules. Listen, when you start getting that really bad screen headache, limit yourself to only 30 more minutes. Summer rules. This fresh produce is delicious. Who needs to eat
1: anything but ripe avocado and farm-raised meats? Winter rules. Okay, we can get taken, but I'm going to need one of you to put on a German accent when calling the pizza place so they don't know it's
0: us again. This has been Summer Rules versus Winter Rules. From the What Fresh Hell Podcast.
1: So, I have a fun thing to talk about to make sure that the way to, like, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Are you pushing your kid because it's too important to you? There's something called Achievement by Proxy Distortion if you've ever watched Toddlers and Tiaras. (laughs) I just
0: putting those words together, I know exactly what it is.
1: Yes, it's Sing Out Louise, right? And heaven knows we all you know it when you see it. And it can be Mama Rose, right? The coach, the bad dad football screaming at Little League. Yeah, the dude screaming at Little League. Yeah, the Andre Agassi, like, you know, the pitching machine is gonna hit you with balls until you start winning, you know, whatever it is. We know that, that it's being driven by, there's two kinds of achievement by proxy distortion while we're talking about it. There's benign, okay, benign achievement by proxy distortion, that's what we're <laughs> going for. And malignant. Is when our pride and satisfaction is achieved when we're supporting our kids' development and abilities. Will I be a little bit too excited seeing this is right? Seeing my kid in the spring musical? Like, you know, she's in the chorus. She's a freshman. She's going to be in the chorus. Like, will I be like super psyched and watching her the whole time and think she was secretly the best one? Yes, of course. Of course I will. That's because she's me.
0: Well, and this is something that you push back on rightfully a lot, which is that like the thing of like, my kid got into this college and we're so excited or like my kid made the travel team, hooray, that people tend to be like, oh, look at that mom, like bragging about their kid, right? This is our job 25 hours a day. <laughs> right. And so like, I'm going to be proud of my kid when they achieve something and I'm going to show off my kid doing something that is important to me. And it doesn't mean that I'm pooping all over your kid. And it doesn't mean that I have no life. But it's okay to celebrate your kids because listen, we work really hard at this. Right. And behind
1: every kid who's gonna like play college baseball, right? Is some mom who has probably
0: mortgaged the last five years of her life to driving that kid around. Oh, my gosh. Do you remember that Olympic commercial from a couple years ago? And it was like the kid like falling a million times the mom picking him up and like, the mom like, Waking up to a 430 alarm and like making breakfast and then getting the little hockey player out of bed and like, and then the end, the kids. Like we're turning in the stands to like look for their mom and being like, "Thanks, mom." It was a total tearjerker commercial, but it's true. It's like, listen, I've been up since at four thirty every day for fifteen years, and I'm gonna post that my kid won the Olympics on Facebook. I'm sorry, I'm gonna take a lap. It's okay. It's okay to feel proud of my kid's accomplishments, and it doesn't mean that like, oh, just living through your kid like a total loser. Right. I think it's unfair. Like, if we're going to have
1: Olympics, then we shouldn't sort of make every one of those parents into like some monster who only thought of themselves, right? They're helping their kid. That's an optimal push right there, at least, hopefully, most of the time, that kid is happy. But the thing that makes it benign, to quote experts here, in benign achievement by proxy distortion, the parents are aware of the child's limitations. And if the child becomes disinterested, injured, or heaven forbid, exploited, I'm using their words here, then of course the kid stops.
0: Very hard. It is a slippery slope. I don't love the slippery slope in general because I feel like it's a kind of an argument that ruins a lot of things. But I do think that like with anything, what is that called? Like a loss leader and like good sunken cost fallacy that it can be hard to get out of something once you're into it. And I have, even for the crazy screaming dad At Little League, like I do have some compassion for it. There is sunken cost fallacy is the idea that like you have put so much into this that you can't give up now. And I think that can happen, you know, and I think for some people that means like their kid wants to quit football in high school when you've gotten up at 430 every morning and you have never gotten your Olympic moment and you want that kid to get a scholarship and they want to give up. That's really hard. And I think it can also just be like you're a very academically oriented family and your kid decides they want to like be a baker and that that's not what your idea of success looks like. And it's not because you're a jerk. It's because you have sunken a lot of time and effort onto a path and it is hard to give up on that. And so I think it's fair to feel both ways. I
1: have the perfect example in my own life, which was my daughter was doing ballet and we live in New York City. So... She had access to like, you know, real ballet, like some kids get to be in the Nutcracker at Lincoln Center and stuff. She never did that. We did like the sort of less pressured one, but it was still pretty pressured. And she was going two days a week, then three days a week. And she was very good. And she was sort of saying like, well, I don't know. I don't don't know if I really, I don't really want to do it five and six days a week. And that's what's next. And I kept saying like, but you can't, like, you're so good. You can't quit. Like, it's, I loved seeing her up there. I loved seeing her perform. She loved performing. But she was getting to the point where like, I can never hang out with my friends at Starbucks after school because I have to go to ballet all the time. Then anyway, my kid got sick. She got sick from COVID and she was sick for a long time and she just lost a lot of ground. And the ballet people weren't like, she may not come back. But my daughter was very like, I'm done. I've lost too much ground. I know they're being nice and I can come back. I can't. Like my leg won't be as high as the other girls now. And like, it's too late. I can't return. And it's okay, mom. Like, And like, I'm ready to move on anyway. I'm sorry I had to end this way, but I'm okay with it. She was okay with it long before I was. And I think it was a sunken cost fallacy. And it was also like, but you're so pretty up on stage and I love watching you. And it was also like, this isn't fair that my kid has worked so hard and now it's been taken from her, but it was the right call and she was certain about it. So it was a little bit easier for me to like, there's nothing to push. She's saying no, but it was harder for me and it took me a little longer than I maybe wanted it to because I was achieving something by watching her perform.
0: And also your kid is a child, like, and so there may be times I have a kid right now who's in band and absolutely hating it. And I keep saying, you can get out of band when you come to me with another activity that you want to do. You can't do nothing. Can't do nothing. And that hasn't happened yet. And there's a lot of misery around band. And also, I don't know that I would want a 12 or 13 year old in charge of a life outcome decision. So, you know, you have to be thoughtful about like, okay, You have been playing piano at a semi-professional level since you were 10. You're an incredible pianist. I don't know that I'm going to let you quit when you're 12. I might say you have to keep this up until you're 16, when I feel you're more able to make this decision, because I can definitely see a kid looking back and saying, hey, I really had something going. And then (laughs) why did you let me quit when I'm 12? (laughs) I definitely have both with my parents. Why did you push me on this dopey thing? And why in the world did you let me quit? Playing an instrument, especially when I was, you know, trying to act and stuff, I was like, "Oh my god, if I could have played guitar, I could have been a contender." But you know, again, like, there's no saying, you know, I was not going to be Taylor Swift if my parents had just kept me in guitar lessons. There were some other factors going awry there that were keeping me from being Taylor Swift. But there's no, like, many unfortunately parenting topics. There's no really, really simple answers here. But I do think the idea of saying, "Why do I want to do this?" Why does my kid want to do this? Are those two things aligned? Yep. Is sunken cost fallacy playing a role? And if so, is it playing an appropriate role? Because let's be honest, it might be. I mean, if you have relocated to, you know, Canada, so your kid can be a professional ice hockey player and three days in, they're like, I'm bored of this. I mean, that may not be the way you're going. You may be like, we're giving this at least a year before we make that decision. And then I think... Also be aware, if you're more of a me, where you're under pushing, because I think in this conversation, it's been clearer to me that I think because we've talked about this too, sometimes we're like, well, I was parented this way. I feel, you know well, there was a lot of pushing and there was a lot of achievement in my family. And I kind of define myself as like, I'm not playing that dumb capitalist game, you know, like I am the rebel. And that I think maybe I enforce that too much on my kids. Like, let's just chill. We're cool. And that there may be realms where academically and with sports or activities that they need more push than I'm giving them especially, let me say, like joy, Yeah, joyful activities, the pandemic kind of let us off the hook with a lot of this stuff. And like, I think I never went back. And I think it would be a good idea for me to sit down with my kids and say, hey, we're spending a lot of time at home on screens. Like, are there some more activities we could pursue that would be really fun? And that would be fun to know as you get older,
1: right? And which bring you like joy and, and meaning in and which your kids are motivated by it's hard when they're like nothing. I don't know. When you know they're not living up to their potential, it's one thing. When they're doing their very best and like, I don't wanna do ballet anymore, then you have to look in the mirror about the achievement by proxy distortion and be like, okay, I guess it's your life.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And you just put your Swan Lake costume on in the closet quietly and cry. Yes, exactly. We could have done it, we could have done it. Friends, we want you to do something for us. We want you to check out all of the offerings that we have at com. Tons of podcasts with mom audiences that we love, and we want you to subscribe. Go to com and subscribe to all the podcasts you see featured. There are so many good ones, and you will recognize so many of the creators who have been guests on our show, and we'd love you to check it out.
1: That's right. They've been guests, and we're like, you know what? <laughs> Would you like to be part of Atlas Media? Yeah, and they say yes.
0: It's exciting. Exactly, exactly. There's tons to explore, so please check that out. And with that, we will talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody.
3: Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.
4: No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack.